I want to speak to you right now on the subject of prayer, with particular reference to the question, how to pray. If you're a new Christian, you may ask, how do I pray? What do I do next? If you're not a Christian, you may be curious as to how Christians pray. Maybe you're a mature Christian, and you might find there are things you still need to learn on the question, how do we pray? I want to read from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest that is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then, or let us therefore, come with confidence, one version says boldly, unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, may God be pleased to bless the reading and the teaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind of every person who may be watching at this moment, in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent vehicle to pass on all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. May this be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. The question, how do we pray? Well, we learn from this wonderful verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It's a great verse. And the writer is, is speaking to discouraged Christians. We know this, the epistle to the Hebrews is written to Jews who had made professions of faith in Christ. They were discouraged. I mean, they were at rock bottom. So much so that toward the end of this letter, the writer says, don't give up. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. They were discouraged. But early in this letter, the writer tells us how to pray. Maybe they were discouraged because they hadn't been praying enough. I wonder if I could be talking to someone right now. You are discouraged. Maybe you don't admit it to anybody. Maybe you don't even want it to admit it to yourself. But if you're honest, you are discouraged. Well, if you're that person, I want to speak to you as though there were no one else listening. Because God understands this. And sometimes we get discouraged because we haven't been praying as we should. We can never pray too much. There will be no praying in heaven. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll have praise, worship, fellowship, being with our friends, worshiping the most holy God throughout eternity, seeing the angels 
Who knows what all it will be? There'll be no sickness, no death, no pain, but there'll be no praying. The reason is, what would you ask for? You're not going to be praying uh, for people to be saved because everybody in heaven will be saved. Uh, the praying that will be done must be done now. I don't know if you've ever heard the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And the last verse of that hymn, it's not always in the hymn books, but in the original it says, we say farewell to thee, sweet hour of prayer, while passing through the air, because we won't pray in heaven. Well now, we're on earth now. Let's say you're discouraged, and you're wanting to know just what to say. And I want to be as clear as I know how to be. Well, the first thing is this. We must remember that Jesus, the Son of God, that's the way he's referred to here. Funnily enough, it's the only time in the whole Bible we have these words just here, Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, he may be referred to Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. But here, Jesus, the Son of God, he's passed into the heavens. That refers to the ascension of Jesus. After he died on the cross, after he was raised from the dead, he ascended to heaven. This Jesus, we must never forget who he is. Son of God. Why does the writer put it that way? Jesus, the Son of God. Well, it's because we must never forget that he was a man as though he were not God. He was God as though he were not man. And we have one who is our advocate in heaven. There's a man in glory, Jesus, the Son of God. And he has never forgotten what it was like to be tempted. That's the wonderful thing. Sometimes we get through a problem, uh, go through a trial, and we forget all about it. We just say, God be with me, and he's with you. And then later, you forget. Jesus has not forgotten so he sympathizes with you, and it doesn't matter what your weakness is. It doesn't matter. We've all got weaknesses. Uh, the King James Version says infirmities. Uh, you have them. I have them. What may be mine may not be yours. What may be yours may not be mine. We've all got them. And sometimes they are so embarrassing we don't want to tell anybody we have that weakness. We're sensitive to criticism. We're afraid that uh, someone might say, how could you have that weakness and call yourself a Christian? Listen, we've all got weaknesses. And listen, I'm not going to tell you mine because you might say, oh, I thought I had problems. <laughs> or you're not going to tell me yours. You're afraid that I might moralize you or discourage you. But here's the wonderful thing. Jesus will not moralize you. Jesus will not make you feel second class. Jesus will not make you feel guilty. In fact, he is actually touched. That's the way the King James Version put it. He's touched. He's moved. He's not turned off. He is sympathetic. And the reason the writer puts it this way is so you won't be discouraged from praying. You see, there are people who say, I'm not worthy to pray. How can I pray? 
I'm such a sinner, or I'm such an awful person, or I don't even know how to pray, and so how could I qualify? I want you to know that Jesus understands that. And that's why the writer's making it as easy as he knows how to let you know whatever your weakness is, whatever it is, he sympathizes and he accepts you. Now, the way the writer puts it here, because he's speaking to Jews, he says we have a great high priest. Now, that's language of Zion that you may not be familiar with. But in the old days, before Jesus came to this earth, there were the priests. And once a year, there was a new high priest. He was called that. And uh, Jesus now is the fulfillment of the ancient priesthood. And Jesus is our high priest. And he is at the right hand of God. It's so interesting. If it weren't for this letter to the Hebrews, we wouldn't even know that Jesus is called our high priest. And here's the thing. He's at the right hand of God. And as John Calvin put it many years ago, he beckons the attention of his father to look at himself, to keep his gaze away from our sins. He's there interceding. And what is he praying? He's praying for you. And if you put a prayer request to him, he passes it to the Father. Well, we need to know this on how to pray. So you just begin by talking to God. Now, Jesus gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Some would refer to it as the Our Father. And uh, I will tell you that my wife and I pray this prayer every day. I don't think we ever miss seven days out of seven, uh, every a week, uh, 365 days a year. Maybe we might miss it once or twice, but we make it a point to pray this prayer. Our Father, who uh, in the old King James Version, I guess we're still married to the way we were brought up to speak like this, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That means holy is your name. Uh, and it's a prayer that everybody will esteem the God of the Bible as holy and respect him. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what the original Greek really is saying. Uh, some versions would just say deliver us from evil, but it means the evil one. If the devil has brought you into any kind of trial, you ask to be delivered from it. And then is the uh, benediction, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Now that's one way to pray, is the Lord's Prayer. But you don't have to pray that every time. Uh, God wants you just to talk to Him. And we come now to the verse that I want to emphasize. Verse 16, where the writer says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let me ask you a question. What would you suppose is the first thing you should ask for 
when you turn to God, the first thing, it's right here, it's right here. This may surprise you, but I can tell you, when I first saw this some years ago, it, it changed my life. It changed my prayer life. And I'll come right to the answer. The first thing you ask for is mercy. Yes, that's the first thing. He says, let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain or receive mercy. You say, really? That's the first thing you ask for? Uh, some might say, well, that's the way a, a person gets converted. They, they say, uh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. True, that is the way you're saved. You realize that you are a sinner and you don't deserve to be forgiven. And you just ask God for mercy. Uh, by the way, what is mercy? It's when God withholds from you what you deserve, namely justice. And if God gave us justice, we wouldn't be able to do anything. We couldn't lift our heads. But God wants us to ask for mercy, first of all. And I just want to say to you, if you're a new Christian or if you're an old Christian, uh, I'm an old one. I'm 84 years old. And I want you to know, I have never outgrown the need to ask God for mercy. Because when you're asking for mercy, that means you've got no bargaining power. You've got nothing to give in exchange. You just say, have mercy on me. And I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you never outgrow the need to ask for mercy. And I would urge you, new Christian, old Christian, mature, theologically minded, whatever, ask for mercy, first of all. And you know what? I do it every day. I do. I, I never forget this. I don't just rush into the presence of God and snap my finger and say, you've got to do this for me. You've got to do that. God doesn't have to do anything. He's obligated to none of us. And I never forget the prayer or the plea of the leper. There was a leper, we're told, in Matthew chapter 8. A, a person in those days with leprosy knew his place. I mean, people ran from a leper. And he knew uh, that. But he saw something in Jesus that made him think, that he could approach Jesus. He wouldn't approach anybody else, that's for sure, not even a priest. But he said to himself, there's something about Jesus. I believe once the crowd's not around, I'll go up to him. And he did. He did. And you know what he said? He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And notice this. If you will. It's a way of saying, you don't have to. I don't deserve it. I wouldn't be surprised if you say no. He just went on bended knee and said, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will. The Bible says that God is rich in mercy. And he's not happy when people just rush into his presence, snap their fingers, expecting they could demand things. That's not respecting the God of the Bible as he deserves to be respected. So never forget, the first thing you ask for is mercy. Now, interesting verse, Hebrews 4.16, 
It answers a lot of questions. And if you want to ask certain questions about prayer or grace or God's goodness, uh, the answers are all here. Uh, for example, who does the writer refer to? Well, he says, let us come. Let us then. That means simple people like you and me. And then he says, let us come with confidence. The next question then is, how? How? Well, with confidence. King James Version, boldly. And then where do we go? Throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain what? Mercy. And find grace to help when? In time of need. I'd like us to go over this verse. It is uh, the time that we have today. And I'll try to be simple and right to the point. Who is he talking about? He says, let us. That means ordinary people. That means Gentile, Jew. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how important you are. Let us. Now imagine, we're talking about going to a throne. You see, when you think of throne, you think of royalty or a sovereign or a monarch. And nobody ever goes to the monarch unless first invited. Well, you and I are invited. And it doesn't matter what is your social class, your politics, uh, your education, your wealth, whether you're rich or poor. He just says, let us come. And not only simple people like you and me, but sinful people. This is so important. Could I be speaking to someone right now? You know that you are a sinner. By the way, can I tell you how you know this? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, a person never would see himself or herself as a sinner because we all want to think the best of ourselves. We say, I'm a pretty nice person. Uh, I will get to heaven because I've been good and so forth. Uh, a person like that is a thousand miles away from knowing the God of the Bible. But when you know you've sinned, whatever it is, whether it has to do with pride, jealousy, sexual sin, whatever, when you're aware of this, admit it. God already knows. He just wants you to see what He sees and admit that you are a sinner. And so the qualification necessary to come to the throne of grace is the awareness that you don't deserve to come. As I've been saying, if you think you could snap your finger and expect God to salute you, no, you're disqualified. But to the person who says, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sins, God says, come. You're the one I want to talk to. So says the writer, let us come. And then he says, with confidence or boldness. Now imagine this going into the presence of royalty with boldness. I've never been in the presence of royalty, so I wouldn't know. But I would imagine if one went into the presence of Her Majesty the Queen, uh, you would be nervous, uh, you would feel awkward, you certainly wouldn't feel bold. 
but we can with this one who's King Jesus seated on the throne of grace. Do you know why you can feel bold? Well, it goes back to the high priest that I referred to a while ago. You see, the high priest, Jesus, on Good Friday, over 2,000 years ago, died on a cross. And the blood his, that he shed was the most precious commodity in the history of the world. More precious than the gold of South Africa, the diamonds of South Africa, was the blood that Jesus shed. And I'll tell you something, never forget this, that blood satisfied God's justice. Yes, when Jesus shed his blood, he paid your debt. And that's the reason you come boldly. You're not coming because you're a good person. You're coming because the blood, called the new and living way, the blood of Jesus that gives you entrance into the most holy place, a place where the high priest would never go except once a year. And then with blood, he was prefiguring the blood that Jesus would shed one day on the cross. And that has been done. And because of that reason, you go with confidence, not because of how good you are. You know, a mistaken idea is that we get to heaven because of what we've done for God. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. We get to heaven because of what God has done for us. Well, then some people say, well, uh, we pray because of what we've done for God, as if, because I'm an old man, I can pray with more boldness than you? <laughs> That's nonsense. Nobody is able to pray with more boldness. We're all sinners saved by grace. And the truth is, the reason we can pray with confidence is because of this blood. And so I don't come with any more boldness than anybody. The person who was just saved today can come with the same boldness that I, as a Christian, I think I've been saved now 75, uh, uh, 77 years. Uh, that doesn't qualify me to come more boldly than you. It's the same blood, level playing field, as, as one might put it. And because of the blood that Jesus shed, we come with boldness, knowing that we're accepted. All right, where are we going? The writer says, to the throne of grace. Now, the Bible speaks of many thrones. Now, by the way, never forget that the God of the Bible is essentially a God of justice. Yes, he will in no way clear the guilty. He must punish sin. And he's determined to punish sin. But the wonderful thing is, your sin has been paid for. Your punishment has already been taken care of because God punished Jesus for what you did. And the throne of, of God is today called a throne of grace. Yes, as I speak today, it is a throne of grace. I must tell you that one day it will be a throne of judgment. Hmm. Hebrews 9.27 It is appointed for all of us to die. You say, we're all going to die. 
We all will die. But then after death, the judgment. And people don't like to think about that, but you need to. You need to. You're going to stand before the God of judgment. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, the Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, Apostle John in the book of Revelation said, there was a great white throne and from him heaven and earth fled away and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into outer darkness. You see, it's not a question of whether you're going to come to God's throne. It's a question, which throne? Well, I can tell you, one day it will be throne of judgment. Uh, you may say, well, I, I, I don't think I'll go to God. Look here, you're going to go there one day. You may win the battle and run from God, but God will win the war and you'll be summoned to stand before him. Good news. As I speak, it's a throne of grace. The Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone brag about it. What is grace? Well, someone put it like this. Love that looks upward is adoration. Love that looks across is affection. But love that looks down is grace. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. Gift of God. God won't have boasting in His presence. He gets all the glory. And when you come to God, you realize He's a gracious God and you won't compete with His glory. You bow to Him and thank Him for His goodness and mercy. The question then follows, why? Why pray? Why do we go to the throne of grace? What's the point? Well, the writer has this worded very carefully. He says that we might receive, or as one version says, that we might obtain. What's the point? Look, in our hearts, there's nothing there that we draw from. Some people say, you need to get quiet and discover how good you are or discover the goodness in you. Listen, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I look into my heart and I think, Oh God, I didn't know anybody could be this bad. In fact, a man by the name of Isaiah, when he saw the glory of the Lord, he said, Woe is me, I'm undone. And so when you see yourself as a sinner, it shows a work of the Holy Spirit. So you go to obtain because you go outside yourself. It's not in you, but it's in Him. And you go to receive from outside yourself. What? Mercy. Mercy. That's what you ask for. And you never outgrow asking for mercy. And Here's the good news. One thing follows. You find grace to help. But the point being, when you come to the God of the Bible and you ask for mercy, you realize that you've got no bargaining power. 
You can't make deals with God and say, Lord, I'll do this if you'll do that. Uh, no. When you ask for mercy, <laughs> you admit you need it because you don't deserve it. When's the last time you asked God for mercy? Well, I might put it this way. When's the last time you ever asked a friend for mercy? You probably use any other word in the dictionary. You don't want to ask somebody for mercy. You're in pretty bad shape when you ask for mercy. Uh, a number of years ago, I'll never forget this as though it were yesterday. My wife Louise and I were driving in Miami Beach on Collins Avenue in front of those hotels uh, for 17 miles, I'm told. There's just one hotel right after another. I've, I've, I've gone there many times. But one evening, we were driving in Collins Avenue in front of the famous Fontainebleau Hotel. And um, just enjoying the sight. I think we were driving around 35 miles per hour, just enjoying the sight. I came to a traffic light. It was green. And before I knew it, it turned yellow. And all of a sudden, it was red. Well, I was going 35 miles per hour. I just went on through. But I looked in the rearview mirror. There was a blue light going off and on, off and on. I thought, oh, it's an awful feeling. And I knew what I had done. Well, I pulled over, uh, got out of the car. In those days, you did that. Now they make you wait in the car. But in those days, I got out of the car, walked back to the policeman, and he was sitting there like this. I knew that he knew that I knew what I had done wrong. So there's no use to play the game. Why did you stop me? I don't understand. You know, you play that game sometimes. I knew what I'd done wrong. And I just said to him, Sir, please don't give me a ticket. He said, Really? Why shouldn't I give you a ticket? You went right through that red light. You went right through that red light. Why shouldn't I give you a ticket? Right, give me one reason. Well, I said, where we live, I think when the light turns yellow, it stays yellow a little longer than this light. He just nodded and said, that wasn't going to work. And I said, we were going 35 miles per hour. He said, the speed limit is 25. Well, <laughs> he could arrest me for something he hadn't even stopped me for. I said, please don't give me a ticket. He said, give me one reason. I've got no reason. I'm just asking for mercy. <laughs> he gave me my driver's license back and says, go on, don't do it again. <laughs> I felt so lucky. Well, the truth is, he could have thrown the book at me, but he didn't. You see, God knows what we're like. He's got enough on all of us to bury us, embarrass us. But he's a God of mercy. And he wants us to acknowledge him. And we ask for mercy. But the writer says something follows. It follows. We find grace. We find grace to help. But then the question is, when? 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 The writer says, in time of need. It's a wonderful thing about the God of the Bible. 
in time of need. In time of need. God is never too late. He's never too early. He's always just on time. Who are we talking about? Let us come. How? Boldly. Where to? To the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive, we may obtain, what? Mercy. And find grace to help. When? In time of need. I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to take this word and apply it to that person so discouraged. Show him, show her, that you are the God who is rich in mercy and you give us what we need. Never too late, never too early. You're always just on time. And we bow and worship and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.